This is the After Dinner Scholar Podcast from Wyoming Catholic College, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. Last year, a generous donor offered Wyoming Catholic College a $100,000 matching grant for a back-to-school appeal, and we exceeded that goal by 70%. This year, the back-to-school matching grant is $125,000. If you are able to give the college a gift, this is a perfect time, since your gift of $50,100,000,000, will be doubled. To give online, go to wyomingcatholic.edu support. That's wyomingcatholic.edu support. Thank you ahead of time for your generosity. While our English versions of the Old Testament call the book Exodus, meaning leaving, the Hebrew name is the first word of the text, Shamoth, names. These are the names, and those names are the sons of Jacob, who God renamed Israel. They and their families, a total of 70 people, escaped famine in the land of Canaan, finding a home with the long-lost son of Jacob, Joseph, who, sold into slavery by God's wonderful providence, became Pharaoh's second-in-command. Initially, they lived well, and over the decades, those 70 became thousands. Then we read, quote, There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, close quote. And he and his people were afraid of those hordes of foreigners. So the king, Pharaoh, enslaved them all. And then, well, Dr. Kent Lesnowski has been reading Exodus with our Wyoming Catholic College freshman. So we'll let him explain. God did something very interesting in that he chose a man uh, to work his wonders. Um, and wonders that would be the result of him remembering his people, just like in uh, the flood of Noah, he remembered Noah and came to him. So God sends Moses and Aaron basically to ask Pharaoh for religious liberty to start. They could go out and worship him in the desert, that they could go out to a place where they'd be free to worship as they were made to worship. Now, when that doesn't work, uh, because Pharaoh says, I don't know this God. Who is this God? I don't know this God. Well, then we get some pedagogy. God decides to teach both the Hebrew people who have for 400 years been forgetting who their God is. And he decides to teach the, uh, sorry, excuse me, the Egyptians who God is. And so he systematically takes down each of the Egyptian gods, not all of them, but most of them in a sort of uh, throughout the plagues, showing that he is not only the God of water, not only the God of the land, not only the God of the crops and the animals, but the God of life and death, the God of everything. Beyond any idol you could worship is God. And so he teaches the people through these plagues uh, who he is. And eventually the Egyptians say, okay, um, that's enough, you get out of town. And they basically kick kick the Israelites out and uh, give them all their gold on the way as a part yeah, of Yeah, I mean, the, the coup de grace, the, the, the slaves despoil Egypt. Yeah, yeah, without raising a finger, right? Just, just by witnessing the wonders that God does. Hmm. 
Now tell us about Moses. He is a, an unusual character among the Israel, well, among all peoples of all time. Yeah, I mean, unusual for many reasons. First of all, God chose a murderer um, to be his uh, to be his savior for this people. I mean, Moses, don't forget, sees a sees an Egyptian mistreating a an Israelite. He looks both ways and then kills him. Uh, wow, that's the guy that God is going to choose to um, to save his people. That's pretty interesting. He also uh, Moses is a very interesting character because of just how much he changes in in the book of Exodus. He starts off in chapter three meeting God and saying, well, who am I to to save these people? You you've picked the wrong person. I don't I don't really want any business with this. Um, I can't talk. Um, and, and furthermore, no one's going to believe me. I don't have the power to save these people. So Moses is reluctant. He almost doesn't really want to do this thing. He says, please send somebody else. But by the end of Exodus, the most amazing transformation takes place. We go from a guy who thinks he can't speak to someone who's proclaiming the law of God openly and um, publicly for the Israelites. We go from a guy who doesn't want to take the people out of the land to a guy who offers his own life multiple times in the place of this people where God says, Moses, I'll make you a great nation. Moses says, no, 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 don't kill this people that you've brought out. Take me instead, kill me instead. I offer myself for them. If you will only continue saving them, Lord God. So the transformation is huge. He goes from a man who doesn't know God to a man who speaks with God face to face and his face is shining with light when he comes out from the, the tabernacle. I mean, the transformation of Moses is astounding. <laughs> now, throughout Genesis, God was known simply as God, El or Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus, he reveals a new name. What is, what is that name and how does that, how does that, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that what you've said there, because throughout Genesis, the closest we get to to any kind of name for God, as you said, El uh, Elohim, we also get um, Jacob calling God El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel, God, my God, essentially. And um, but still, it's it's a kind of mystery who He is. Now Moses, when he sees the burning bush, says, "Well, who am I supposed to say sent me? Which God are you? Right? Give me your name." And God says. I am who am, or I will be who I will be. In, in the Hebrew, it's yod He vah He, uh, Yahweh, if you pronounce it, but the, the, the Hebrews would never pronounce that. Um, but it seems that that's kind of an answer that's a non-answer, right? Because I am who am, what does that mean? Um, I think what you see here is that the, the God of the Bible, God of uh, the Hebrews, is telling them, don't try to put me into any kind of box, whether it be a visible box of the God of this cow or the God of the moon or the sun or the stars, don't put me into a box. Don't even furthermore put me into an intellectual box of I am the God of power or the God of being or something. Like I think the Lord Adonai is telling Moses, I'm beyond anything you can even imagine. And the greatest, the greatest uh, temptation you're going to have and your people are going to have is the temptation of idolatry, which is a temptation to reduce me, 
reduce me to something you can get your mind and hands around. And of course, when uh, Aaron makes the golden calf, uh, he says, this is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So I mean, right. it, he, he identifies the golden calf with the Lord God. He does, right? They've not chosen some different God to worship. They're still thinking they're worshiping the same God. They've just identified him with this man-made uh, vessel, this man-made idol. Well, you know, you use the word box. At the same time, Moses is instructed to make a box. Yes, it's beautiful though, because the things that go in the box aren't God, right? We have manna, a gift of God. We have the rod of Aaron, which budded forth and showed his authority. Um, we also have, keep in mind, the key about the box is that it is the mercy seat. It's a place on top of which sit two angels. Now, the key of the angels is that if you look at this, their wings are pointed in, creating a sort of empty space right on top of the box. And the key for the tabernacle is, again, not what's inside of it, but what is above it. Nothing. Empty space. You cannot, when you go in to see God, if you're the high priest who gets to do that once a year, or if you're Moses, you're not looking in the box. You're looking in that empty space between the cherubim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, between the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, where the Pharaoh and his whole army drown, things happen, two things happen simultaneously. There's freedom for Israel and judgment on Egypt and their gods. Do freedom and judgment necessarily go together? Without question, they do. Um, the freedom is generated within the, within the Israelites by a judgment of God saying, you are my people, you are my firstborn. In fact, in Exodus four, God says, remember to tell, uh, remember that to tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn, my firstborn son. Um, so God makes a judgment of who Israel is. He's made a choice. And in light with that identity, they have to be educated about who they are. So they have to see the plagues and they have to be put their back up against this sea to know that the only way out is if God delivers us, right? Through a kind of new creation into, through the waters, right? Remember in Genesis, when God creates the world, he separates the waters. Well, what has he done here? He separated the waters and allowed his people to come through as a new creation, right? So God judges who the Israelites are. They are his creation, they are his firstborn son. Now, he also at the same time judges not so much the Egyptian people as the gods, the gods of the nations. Remember, with each of the plagues, he was taking down one of those gods. And now, by, by swallowing up the Egyptian army in the water, he's taking down the entire pantheon, right? It's a judgment upon all idolatry, upon everyone who would pretend to be God. Exodus goes on to tell the giving of the law, including the Ten Commandments. Now, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote, quote, Jews read the books of Moses, not just as history, but as divine command. The question to which they are an answer is not what happened, but rather, how then shall I live? And it's only with the Exodus that the life of the commandments really begins. Would you agree with that? Would you comment on that? Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. I think it really links to what you were just asking about freedom. Um, it seems that the Israelites are granted freedom from idolatry, 
as represented by Egypt and Pharaoh, um, freedom from that through the judgment against them, but also freedom for, freedom for something. What are they given freedom for? Well, they're given freedom for their final destiny, the reason they were created in, at all, which is worship. You know, if you take a look at Exodus, it's all pointing toward the description of the tabernacle and proper worship. There are seven times when it is um, described, right? Uh, imitating the seven right elements of create the seven days of creation, sort of um, pointing toward the, the idea that what I'm free for is worship. It's not just finding a, a new 10 acres out there. That's not why they were sent out of Egypt. They're sent out of Egypt to be a people who travels with God and worships God correctly. So that's the that's what they've been invited into. Um, and so the question of how to live, as you're pointing out, well, how do I live? I live as a people of worship, uh, a people who belong to God and have been set free for that right uh, worship. Which immediately translates into our Christian faith. Absolutely, yeah. How do the students respond to the book of Exodus? Have most of them read it? Is it like old hat or? Well, the students, to be perfectly honest, find Exodus one of the most familiar books because they've all seen the animated movie, Prince of Egypt, <laughs> to be honest. Whenever I come into class, they end up singing some of the songs from this movie. It's, it's a great children's movie, a family movie, and it, it brings to life some elements of the book. Um, now, keep in mind, it's, it's not a perfect representation of Exodus by any means, but they have familiarity. What the students love about Exodus when we teach it in class is really watching how Moses changes and how the people of Israel maybe don't change and seeing that juxtaposition that it seems in some ways that the only one who really went on the Exodus was Moses. Everybody else just kind of took a hike in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to ask themselves, um, who am I gonna be? Am I going to see the wonders of God and, and allow them to bring me to new life um, as a son or daughter of God? Or am I going to just remain a stiff-necked person who hardens his own heart? I confess that putting together questions for this podcast with Dr. Lesnowski was exceedingly difficult. Why? Well, there's too much to say about the book, and thus too many questions that could be asked and too little time to ask them. We didn't have time to talk about the plagues, about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the Passover and its relationship with the Eucharist, about despoiling Egypt, the Song of Miriam, about the commandments, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the system of feasts, Sabbaths, and sacrifices. So I have a suggestion. Why not sit down and read the book of Exodus? It's more than the story of Israel. It's the story of our Christian lives release from our slavery to sin, learning how to live in holy obedience to God, and journeying together to the promised land of heaven, where we're told God himself will be with us, and we will receive Moses' greatest wish. We will see him face to face. So tole lege, take up and read. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.